0: Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in again today to another World Audiobooks. I'm so happy to be bringing you the next chapters of A Study in Scarlet. The mystery uh, really starts to get good. We get a suspect, and yeah, it's good stuff good stuff. If you're enjoying the audiobook so far, would you maybe consider telling a friend? That's the only way really the word gets out about Another World Audiobooks. And if you enjoy free audiobooks, I know you know somebody else who would also enjoy free audiobooks. And just telling them about the podcast makes a huge difference. Like I mentioned in the last couple episodes, still looking for somebody who might be interested in volunteering to help me edit the podcast because I want to bring you guys more content. There's just only so many hours in the day. So if somebody's interested in helping me edit the podcast as a volunteer, that would be great. If not, I'm probably going to be looking to hire somebody, but in order to do that, I need you guys to go over to patreon.com slash anotherworldaudiobooks and uh, sign up to become a patron. Whatever you can donate, that money is going to go toward helping me produce more content for you that's free and amazing and hopefully you like it. That being said, don't want to take up any more time, let's get into the audiobook. Without further ado, I give you a study in Scarlet. Chapter 5 our advertisement brings a visitor. Our morning's exertions had been too much for my weak health, and I was tired out in the afternoon. After Holmes' departure for the concert, I lay down upon the sofa and endeavored to get a couple of hours' sleep. It was a useless attempt. My mind had been too much excited by all that had occurred, and the strangest fancies and surmises crowded into it. Every time that I closed my eyes, I saw before me the distorted, baboon-like countenance of the murdered man. So sinister was the impression which that face had produced upon me that I found it difficult to feel anything but gratitude for him who had removed his owner from the world. If ever human features bespoke vice of the most malignant type— They were certainly those of Enoch J. Drebber of Cleveland. Still, I recognize that justice must be done, and that the depravity of the victim was no condonement in the eyes of the law.' The more i thought of it the more extraordinary did my companion's hypothesis that the man had been poisoned appear i remembered how he had sniffed his lips and had no doubt that he had detected something which had given rise to the idea then again if not poison what had caused the man's death since there was neither wound nor mark of strangulation what on the other hand whose blood was that which lay so thickly upon the floor there were no signs of a struggle nor had the victim any weapon with which he might have wounded an antagonist As long as all these questions were unsolved, I felt that sleep would be no easy matter, either for Holmes or myself. His quiet, self-confident manner convinced me that he had already formed a theory which explained all the facts, though what it was, I could not for an instant conjecture. He was very late in returning, so late that I knew that the concert could not have detained him all the time. Dinner was on the table before he appeared. It is magnificent, he said as he took his seat. Do you remember what Darwin says about music? He claims that the power of producing and appreciating it existed among the human race long before the power of speech was arrived at. Perhaps that is why we are so subtly influenced by it. There are vague memories in our souls of those misty centuries when the world was in its childhood. That's a rather broad idea, I remarked. One's ideas must be broad as nature if they are to interpret nature, he answered. What's the matter? You're not looking quite yourself. This Brixton Road affair has upset you. To tell the truth, it has, I said. I ought to be more case hardened after my own Afghan experiences. I saw my own comrades hacked to pieces at my wand without losing my nerve. I can understand. There is a mystery about this which stimulates the imagination. Where there is no imagination there is no horror. Have you seen the evening paper? No. "'It gives a fairly good account of the affair. "'It does not mention the fact that when the man was raised up, "'a woman's wedding ring fell upon the floor. "'It is just as well it does not.' "'Why?' "'Look at this advertisement,' he answered. "'I had one sent to every paper this morning, "'immediately after the affair.' "'He threw the paper across to me, "'and I glanced at the place indicated. "'It was the first announcement in the found column. "'In Brixton Road this morning, it ran.' A plain gold wedding ring found in the roadway between the White Hart Tavern and Holland Grove. Applying Doctor Watson, two two one B Baker Street, between eight and nine this evening. Excuse me using your name," he said. "If I use my own, some of these dunderheads would recognize it and want to meddle in the affair. That is all right," I answered. "But supposing anyone applies, I have no ring. Oh yes, you have." said he handing me one this will do very well it is almost a facsimile and who do you expect will answer this advertisement why the man of the brown coat our florid friend with the square toes if he does not come himself he will send an accomplice would he not consider it as too dangerous not at all in my view of the case is correct and i have every reason to believe that it is this man would rather risk anything than lose the ring according to my notion he dropped it while stooping over Drebber's body and did not miss it at the time after leaving the house he discovered his loss and hurried back but found the police already in possession owing to his own folly in leaving the candle burning he had to pretend to be drunk in order to allay the suspicions which might have been aroused by his appearance at the gate Now, put yourself in that man's place. On thinking the matter over, it must have occurred to him that it was possible that he had lost the ring in the road after leaving the house. What would he do then? He would eagerly look out for the evening papers, in hope of seeing it among the articles found. His eye, of course, would light upon this. He would be overjoyed. Why should he fear a trap? There would be no reason in his eyes why the finding of the ring should be connected with the murder. He would come. He will come. You shall see him within an hour.' "'And then?' I asked. "'No, you can leave me to deal with him then. Have you any arms?' "'I have my old service revolver and a few cartridges.' "'You had better clean it and load it. He will be a desperate man, and though I shall take him unawares, it is as well to be ready for anything.' I went to my bedroom and followed his advice. When I returned with the pistol, the table had been cleared, and Holmes was engaged in his favorite occupation of scraping upon his violin. "'The plot thickens,' he said as I entered. "'I have just had an answer to my American telegram. My view of the case is the correct one.' "'And that is?' I asked eagerly. "'My fiddle will be better for new strings,' he remarked. "'Put your pistol in your pocket.' When the fellow comes, speak to him in an ordinary way. Leave the rest to me. Don't frighten him by looking at him too hard. It is eight o'clock now, I said, glancing at my watch. Yes, he will probably be here in a few minutes. Open the door slightly. That will do. Now, put the key on the inside. Thank you. This is a queer old book I picked up at the store yesterday. The Jure Intergentes. Published in Latin at Liege in the Lowlands in 1642, Charles's head was still firm on his shoulders when this little brown-backed volume was struck off. Who is the printer? Philippe de Croix, whoever he may have been. On the flyleaf, in very faded ink, is written Ex Libris Guglielme, Wheat. I wonder who William White was. Some pragmatical 17th century lawyer, I suppose. His writing has a legal twist about it here comes our man i think as he spoke there was a sharp ring at the bell sherlock holmes rose softly and moved his chair in the direction of the door we heard the servant pass along the hall and the sharp click of the latch as he opened it
1: does dr watson live here
0: asked a clear but rather harsh voice we could not hear the servant's reply but the door closed and someone began to ascend the stairs The footfall was an uncertain and shuffling one. A look of surprise passed over the face of my companion as he listened to it. It came slowly along the passage, and there was a feeble tap at the door. "'Come in!' I cried. At my summons, instead of the man of violence whom we expected, a very old and wrinkled woman hobbled into the apartment. She appeared to be dazzled by the sudden blaze of light, and after dropping a curtsy, she stood blinking at us, with her bleared eyes and fumbling in her pocket with nervous, shaky fingers— I glanced at my companion, and his face had assumed such a disconsolate expression that it was all I could do to keep my countenance. The old crone drew out an evening paper and pointed at her advertisement.
1: "'It's this has it brought me, good gentleman,'
0: she said, dropping another curtsey.
1: A gold wedding ring in the Brixton Road. It belongs to my girl Sally, as was married only this time, twelve month, which her husband is steward aboard a Union boat. And what he'd say if he came home and found her without her ring is more than I can think. He being short enough at the best of times, but more especially when he has the drink. If it please you, she went to the circus last night along with.
0: Is that a ring? I asked.
1: The Lord be thanked,
0: cried the old woman.
1: Sally will be a glad woman this night. That's the ring.
0: And what may your address be? I inquired, taking up a pencil.
1: Thirteen Duncan Street, Houndsditch, a weary way from here.
0: The Brixton Road does not lie between any circus and Houndsditch, said Sherlock Holmes sharply. The old woman faced round and looked keenly at him from her little red-rimmed eyes. "'The
1: gentleman asked me for my address,' she said. "'Sally lives in lodgings at Three Mayfield Place, Peckham.'
0: "'And your name is?'
1: "'My name is Sawyer. Hers is Dennis, which Tom Dennis married her.' "'And a smart, clean lad, too, as long as he's at sea, and no steward in the company more thought of. "'But we're on shore, what with the women, and what with liquor shops.'
0: "'Here is your ring, Mrs. Sawyer,' I interrupted, in obedience to a sign from my companion. "'It clearly belongs to your daughter, and I am glad to be able to restore it to the rightful owner.' "'With many mumbled blessings and protestations of gratitude, "'the old crone packed it away in her pocket and shuffled off down the stairs.' Sherlock Holmes sprang to his feet the moment she was gone and rushed into his room. He returned in a few seconds, enveloped in an ulster and a cravat. I'll follow her, he said hurriedly. She must be an accomplice and will lead me to him. Wait up for me. The hall door had hardly slammed behind our visitor before Holmes had descended the stair. Looking through the window, I could see her walking feebly along the other side, while her pursuer dogged her some little distance behind. Either his whole theory is incorrect, I thought to myself, or else he will be led now to the heart of the mystery. There was no need for him to ask me to wait up for him, for I felt that sleep was impossible until I heard the results of his adventure. It was close upon nine when he set out. I had no idea how long he might be, but I sat stolidly puffing my pipe and skipping over the pages of Henry Murger's Vie de boheme Ten o'clock passed, and I heard the footsteps of the maid as they pattered off to bed. Eleven, and the more stately tread of the landlady passed my door, bound for the same destination. "'It was close upon twelve before I heard the sharp sound of his latch-key. "'The instant he entered, I saw by his face that he had not been successful. "'Amusement and chagrin seemed to be struggling for the mastery, "'until the former suddenly carried the day, and he burst into a hearty laugh. "'I wouldn't have Scotland Yarders it for the world!' he cried, dropping into his chair. I've chafed them so much that they would never have let me hear the end of it. I can afford to laugh, because I know that I will be even with them in the long run. "'What is it, then?' I asked. (sighs) "'Oh, I don't mind telling a story against myself. That creature had gone a little way when she began to limp and show every sign of being foot-sore.' Presently she came to a halt and hailed a four-wheeler which was passing. I managed to be close to her, so as to hear the address, but I need not have been so anxious, for she sang it out loud enough to be heard at the other side of the street. "'Drive to 13 Duncan Street, Houndsditch, she cried. This begins to look genuine, I thought, and having seen her safely inside, I perched myself behind. "'That's a nod which every detective should be expert at.' "'Well, away we rattled, and never drew rein until we reached the street in question. "'I hopped off before we came to the door, and strolled down the street in an easy lounging way. "'I saw the cab pull up. "'The driver jumped down, and I saw him open the door and stand expectantly. "'Nothing came out, though. "'When I reached him, he was groping about frantically in the empty cab, "'and giving vent at the finest assorted collection of oaths that ever I listened to. "'There was no sign or trace of his passenger, "'and I fear it will be some time before he gets his fare.' On inquiring at number 13, we found that the house belonged to a respectable paper-hanger named Keswick, and that no one of the name either of Sawyer or Dennis had ever been heard of there. "'You don't mean to say,' I cried in amazement, "'that the tottering, feeble old woman was able to get out of the cab while it was in motion without either you or the driver seeing her?' "'Old woman, be damned,' said Sherlock Holmes sharply." We were the old woman to be so taken in. It must have been a young man, and an active one, too, besides being an incomparable actor. The get-up was inimitable. He saw that he was followed, no doubt, and used this means of giving me the slip. It shows that the man we are after is not as lonely as I imagined he was, but has friends who are ready to risk something for him. Now, Doctor, you are looking done up. Take my advice and turn in. I was certainly feeling very weary, so I obeyed his injunction. I left home seated in front of the smouldering fire, and long into the watches of the night I heard the low, melancholy wailings of his violin, and knew that he was still pondering over the strange problem which he had set himself to unravel. Chapter 6 Tobias Gregson Shows Us What He Can Do The papers next day were full of Brixton mystery, as they termed it. Each had a long account of the affair, and some had leaders upon it in addition. There was some information in them which was new to me. I still retain in my scrapbook numerous clippings and extracts bearing upon the case. Here is a condensation of a few of them. The Daily Telegraph remarked that in the history of crime there has seldom been a tragedy which presented stranger features. The German name of the victim, the absence of all other motive, and the sinister inscription on the wall, all pointed to its perpetration by political refugees and revolutionists. The socialists had many branches in America, and the deceased had, no doubt, infringed their unwritten laws and been tracked down by them. After alluding airily to Wengerich, Aquatofana, Carbonari... The Marchioness de Brinvilliers, the Darwinian theory, the principles of Malthus, and the Ratcliffe Highway murders. The article concluded by admonishing the government and advocating a closer watch over foreigners in England. The standard commented upon the fact that lawless outrages of the sort usually occurred under a liberal administration. They arose from the unsettling of the minds of the masses and the consequent weakening of all authority. The deceased was an American gentleman who had been residing for some weeks in the metropolis. He had been staying at the boarding house of Madame Carpentier in Torre Terrace, Camberwell. He was accompanied in his travels by his private secretary, Mr. Joseph Stangerson. The two bade adieu to their landlady upon Tuesday the 4th instant, and departed to Easton Station with the avowed intention of catching the Liverpool Express. They were afterwards seen together upon the platform. Nothing more is known of them until Mr. Drebber's body was, as recorded, discovered in an empty house in the Brixton Road, many miles from Easton how he came there or how he met his fate are questions which are still involved in mystery nothing is known of the whereabouts of stangerson we are glad to learn that mr lestrade and mr gregson of scotland yard are both engaged upon the case and it is confidently anticipated that these well-known officers will speedily throw light upon the matter The Daily News observed that there was no doubt as to the crime being a political one. The despotism and hatred of liberalism which animated the Continental Governments had had the effect of driving to our shores a number of men who might have made excellent citizens were they not soured by the recollection of all they had undergone. Among these men there was a stringent code of honour, any infringement of which was punished by death. Every effort should be made to find the secretary, Stangerson, and to ascertain some particulars of the habits of the deceased— A great step had been gained by the discovery of the address of the house at which he had boarded, a result which was entirely due to the acuteness and energy of Mr. Gregson of Scotland Yard. Sherlock Holmes and I read these notices over together at breakfast, and they appeared to afford him considerable amusement. I told you, whatever happened, Lestrade and Gregson would be sure to score. That depends on how it turns out. Oh, bless you, it doesn't matter in the least. If the man is caught, it will be on account of their exertions. If he escapes, it will be in spite of their exertions. It's heads I win, and tails you lose. Whatever they do, they will have followers. Un sot trouvé, toujours une place sot qui l'admire. What on earth is this? I cried. "'for at this moment there came the pattering of many steps in the hall and on the stairs, "'accompanied by audible expressions of disgust upon the part of our landlady. "'It's the Baker Street Division of the Detective Police Force,' said my companion gravely, "'and as he spoke there rushed into the room half a dozen of the dirtiest and most ragged street Arabs that ever I clapped eyes on. "'Tension!' cried Holmes in a sharp tone, "'and the six dirty little scoundrels stood in a line like so many disreputable statuettes.' In future, you shall send up Wiggins alone to report, and the rest of you must wait in the street. Have you found it, Wiggins? No, sir, we hain't," said one of the youths. I hardly expected you would. You must keep on until you do. Here are your wages. He handed each of them a shilling. Now, off you go, and come back with a better report next time. He waved his hand, and they scampered away downstairs like so many rats— "'and we heard their shrill voices next moment in the street. "'There's more work to be got out of one of those little beggars "'than out of a dozen of the force,' Holmes remarked. "'The mere sight of an official-looking person seals men's lips. "'These youngsters, however, go everywhere and hear everything. "'They are as sharp as needles, too. "'All they want is organization.' "'Is it on this Brixton case that you are employing them?' I asked. "'Yes, there is a point which I wish to ascertain.' "'It is merely a matter of time. "'Hello. "'We are going to hear some news now with a vengeance. "'Here is Gregson coming down the road "'with a beatitude written upon every feature of his face. "'Bound for us, I know. "'Yes, he is stopping. "'There he is.' "'There was a violent peal at the bell, "'and in a few seconds the fair-haired detective "'came up the stairs three steps at a time "'and burst into our sitting-room. "'My dear fellow!' He cried, wringing Holmes' unresponsive hand. "'Congratulate me! I have made the whole thing clear as day!' A shade of anxiety seemed to me to cross my companion's expressive face. "'Do you mean that you are on the right track?' he asked. "'The right track! Why, sir, we have the man under lock and key!' "'And his name is?' "'Arthur Carpentier, sub-lieutenant in Her Majesty's Navy,' cried Gregson pompously, rubbing his fat hands and inflating his chest. Sherlock Holmes gave a sigh of relief and relaxed into a smile. Take a seat and try one of those cigars, he said. We are anxious to know how you managed it. Will you have some whiskey and water? I don't mind if I do, the detective answered. "'The tremendous exertions which I have gone through during the last day or two have worn me out. "'Not so much bodily exertion, you understand, as a strain upon the mind. "'You appreciate that, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, for we are both brain-workers.' "'You do me too much honour, said Holmes gravely. "'Let us hear how you arrived at this most gratifying result.' "'The detective seated himself in the armchair and puffed complacently at his cigar.' Then he suddenly slapped his thigh in a paroxysm of amusement. The fun of it is, he cried, that that fool Estrad, who thinks himself so smart, has gone off upon the wrong track altogether. He's after the secretary, Stangerson, who had no more to do with the crime than the babe unborn. I have no doubt that he has caught him by this time. The idea tickled Gregson so much that he laughed until he choked. How did you get your clue? "'Oh, I'll tell you all about it. "'Of course, Dr. Watson, this is strictly between ourselves. "'The first difficulty which we had to contend with "'was the finding of this American's antecedents. "'Some people would have waited until their advertisements were answered "'or until parties came forward and volunteered information. "'That is not Tobias Gregson's way of going to work. "'You remember the hat beside the dead man?' "'Yes,' said Holmes. "'By John Underwood and Sons, 129 Camberwell Road.' Gregson looked quite crestfallen. "'I would no idea that you noticed that,' he said. "'Have you been there?' "'No.' "'Heh!' cried Gregson in a relieved voice. "'You should never neglect a chance, however small it may seem.' "'To a great mind, nothing is little,' remarked Holmes sententiously. "'Well, I went to Underwood, and asked him if he had sold a hat of that size and description. "'He looked over his books, and came on it at once. "'He had sent the hat to a Mr. Drebber, residing at Carpentier's boarding establishment, Torquay Terrace. "'Thus I got at his address.' "'Smart. Very smart,' murmured Sherlock Holmes. "'I next called upon Madame Carpentier,' continued the detective." I found her very pale and distressed. Her daughter was in the room, too. An uncommonly fine girl, she is, too. She was looking red about the eyes, and her lips trembled as I spoke to her. That didn't escape my notice. I began to smell a rat. You know the feeling, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, when you come upon the right scent, a kind of thrill in your nerves. Have you heard of the mysterious death of your late boarder, Mr. Enoch J. Drebber of Cleveland? I asked. The mother nodded. She didn't seem able to get out a word. The daughter burst into tears. I felt more than ever that these people knew something of the matter. At what o'clock did Mr. Drebber leave your house for the train? I asked. At eight o'clock, she said, gulping in her throat to keep down her agitation. His secretary, Mr. Stangerson, said that there were two trains, one at 9.15 and one at 11. He was to catch the first. And was that the last you saw of him? A terrible change came over the woman's face as I asked the question. Her features turned perfectly livid. It was some seconds before she could get out the single word, yes, and when it did come out, it was in a husky, unnatural tone. There was silence for a moment, and then the daughter spoke in a calm, clear voice. "'No good can ever come of falsehoods, mother,' she said. "'Let us be frank with this gentleman. We did see Mr. Drebber again.' "'God forgive you,' cried Madame Carpentier, throwing up her hands and sinking back in her chair. "'You have murdered your brother.' "'Arthur would rather we spoke the truth,' the girl answered firmly. "'You would best tell me all about it now,' I said. half confidences are worse than none. "'Besides, you do not know how much we know of it.' "'On your head be it, Alice,' cried her mother, and then turning to me. "'I will tell you all, sir. "'Do not imagine that my agitation on behalf of my son arises from my fear, "'lest he should have had a hand in this terrible affair.' He is utterly innocent of it. My dread is, however, that in your eyes and the eyes of others he may appear to be compromised. That, however, is surely impossible. His high character, his profession, his antecedents would all forbid it. Your best way is to make a clean breast of the facts, I answered. Depend upon it. If your son is innocent, he will be none the worse. Perhaps, Alice, you had better leave us together, she said, and her daughter withdrew. Now, sir, she continued, I had no intention of telling you all this, but since my poor daughter has disclosed it, I have no alternative. Having once decided to speak, I will tell you all without omitting any particular. It is your wisest course, said I. "'Mr. Drebber had been with us nearly three weeks. "'He and his secretary, Mr. Stangerson, "'had been travelling on the continent. "'I noticed a Copenhagen label upon each of their trunks, "'showing that that had been their last stopping place. "'Stangerson was a quiet, reserved man, "'but his employer, I'm sorry to say, was far otherwise. "'He was coarse in his habits and brutish in his ways.' The very night of his arrival, he became very much the worse for drink, and, indeed, after twelve o'clock in the day, he could hardly ever be said to be sober. His manners towards the maid-servants were disgustingly free and familiar. Worst of all, he speedily assumed the same attitude towards my daughter, Alice, and spoke to her more than once in a way which, fortunately, she is too innocent to understand. On one occasion, he actually seized her in his arms and embraced her, an outrage which caused his own secretary to reproach him for his unmanly conduct." "'But why did you stand all this?' I asked. "'I suppose you can get rid of your boarders when you wish.' Mrs. Carpentier blushed at my pertinent question. "'Would well, to God that I had given him notice on the very day that he came,' she said. "'But it was a sore temptation. "'They were paying a pound a day each, fourteen pounds a week, "'and this is a slack season. "'I'm a widow, and my boy in the Navy has cost me much. "'I grudged to lose the money. "'I acted for the best.' "'This lass was too much, however, and I gave him notice to leave on account of it. "'That was the reason for his going. "'Well?' "'My heart grew light when I saw him drive away. "'My son is on leave just now, and I did not tell him anything of all this, "'for his temper is violent, and he is passionately fond of his sister. "'When I closed the door behind them, a load seemed to be lifted from my mind. "'Alas, in less than an hour there was a ring at the bell, "'and I learned that Mr. Drebber had returned.' He was much excited, and evidently the worse for drink. He forced his way into the room, where I was sitting with my daughter, and made some incoherent remark about having missed his train. He then turned to Alice, and, before my very face, proposed to her that she should fly with him. "'You are of age,' he said, and there is no law to stop you. I have money enough and to spare. Never mind the old girl here, but come along with me now straight away. You shall live like a princess.' Poor Alice was so frightened that she shrunk away from him, but he caught her by the wrist and endeavoured to draw her towards the door. I screamed, and at that moment, my son Arthur came into the room. What happened then, I do not know. I heard oaths and the confused sounds of a scuffle. I was too terrified to raise my head. When I did look up, I saw Arthur standing in the doorway laughing, with a stick in his hand. "'I don't think that fine fellow would trouble us again,' he said. "'I will just go after him and see what he does with himself.' With those words, he took his hat and started off down the street. The next morning, we heard of Mr. Drebber's mysterious death. This statement came from Mrs. Carpentier's lips, with gasps and pauses. At times, she spoke so low that I could hardly catch the words. I made shorthand sure notes of all that she said, however, so that there should be no possibility of a mistake. "'It's quite exciting,' said Sherlock Holmes with a yawn. "'What happened next?' "'When Mrs. Carpentier paused,' the detective continued, "'I saw that the whole case hung upon one point, "'fixing her with my eye in a way which I always found effective with women. "'I asked her at what hour her son returned. "'I do not know,' she answered. "'Not know?' "'No. He has a latchkey, and he let himself in. "'After you went to bed?' "'Yes.' "'When did you go to bed?' "'About eleven. So your son was gone at least two hours.' "'Yes. Possibly four or five. Yes. What was he doing during that time?' "'I do not know,' she answered, turning white to her very lips. "'Of course, after that, there was nothing more to be done. I found out where Lieutenant Carpentier was, took two officers with me, and arrested him. When I touched him on the shoulder and warned him to come quietly with us, he answered us as bold as brass. "'I suppose you are arresting me for being concerned in the death of that scoundrel Drebber,' he said." We well, had said nothing to him about it, so that his alluding to it had a most suspicious aspect. "'Very,' said Hems. "'He still carried the heavy stick which the mother described him as having with him when he followed Drebber. It was a stout oak cudgel.' "'What is your theory, then?' "'Well, my theory is that he followed Drebber as far as the Brixton Road.' When there, a fresh altercation arose between them, in the course of which Drebber received a blow from the stick in the pit of the stomach, perhaps, which killed him without leaving a mark. The night was so wet that no one was about, so Carpentier dragged the body of his victim into the empty house. As to the candle and the blood and the writing on the wall and the ring, they may all be so many tricks to throw the police on the wrong scent. Well done, said Holmes in an encouraging voice. "'Really, Gregson, you are getting along. We shall make something of you yet.' "'I flatter myself that I managed it rather neatly,' the detective answered proudly. The young man volunteered a statement in which he said that after following Drebber some time, the latter perceived him and took a cab in order to get away from him. On his way home, he met an old shipmate and took a long walk with him. On being asked where this old shipmate lived, he was unable to give a satisfactory reply.' I think the whole case fits together uncommonly well. What amuses me is to think of Lestrade, who has started off upon the wrong scent. I am afraid he won't make much of it. Why, well, by Jove, here's the very man himself! It was indeed Lestrade who had ascended the stairs while we were talking, and who now entered the room. The assurance and jauntiness which generally marked his demeanour and dress were, however, wanting. His face was disturbed and troubled, while his clothes were disarranged and untidy. He had evidently come with the intention of consulting with Sherlock Holmes, for on perceiving his colleague, he appeared to be embarrassed and put out. He stood in the centre of the room, fumbling nervously with his hat and uncertain what to do. "'This is a most extraordinary case,' he said at last. "'A most incomprehensible affair.' "'Oh, you find it so, Mr. Lestrade!' cried Gregson triumphantly. "'I thought you would have come to that conclusion. "'Have you managed to find the secretary, Mr. Joseph Stangerson?' "'The secretary, Mr. Joseph Stangerson,' said the gravely, "'was murdered at Holiday's private hotel about six o'clock this morning.'" Alright, thanks guys so much again for tuning in today listening to the podcast. Remember, if you like it, go ahead and leave a review on iTunes. It's really simple to do. The link is in the show notes here on the podcast, or you can go to anotherworldaudiobooks.wordpress.com and uh, you can find the link to iTunes right there as well. If you are interested in helping me edit the podcast, just shoot me an email, anotherworldaudiobooks at gmail.com, or you can think about becoming a patron, maybe. If you donate money, that's going to go toward helping me produce more content uh, and keep it free for you guys. So um, really appreciate all the support, and uh, you download and listen to the podcast. Remember to share, because all good things should be shared. Talk to you next time.